This is from John 11. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, who is coming into the, wor the world. Excuse me. This is the word of the Lord. Fans uh, in the crowd? G'day, g'day. Can you hear me? Cool. So thanks so much for inviting me, Lee, to share this morning and continue on in the I Am series that you guys have been working through over the last few weeks. These I Am statements that Jesus makes throughout the New Testament to help us realise that he is God and to tell us about who God is. The I am statement is all the way back from Exodus when God reveals himself to Moses in the burning bush. It's the same I am that Jesus uses, which causes so many people to be upset that he's saying these things. So before we kind of work through our, um, uh, our story today, and I'll go through the whole story, so it's nice you've got it printed for your reference, but just a short sample that you heard read. I want to just start with a bit of a thought to help you get into this idea of why these I am statements are so important and what the usefulness is for them in the New Testament. So I was doing some preparation and reading a book by Tim Keller called Encounters with Jesus. And Tim Keller spends a bit of time uh, analysing something that C.S. Lewis has written. So you've got Tim Keller, pretty good writer, talking about something C.S. Lewis has got, really good writer, this is a real, you know, dream team combination. You know you're going to get some good ideas. It's a little bit like when McDonald's brought out the McFlurry and you've got the, the ice cream that is so great with the cookie, the, the Oreo. It's a real combination for the ages. So um, Keller on Lewis. In 1961, uh, Tim writes, Russians put the first man into orbit. They got the first man out of Earth's atmosphere. And uh, when, when this happened... The Premier of the Soviet Union, his name was Nikita Khrushchev, he said something along the lines of this. We have sent a man into space, Russian accent, and we didn't see God. So we have proved there is no God. I think uh, we can sort of see that's not, you know, completely logical, not quite sound philosophy, because God could have been hiding behind the moon and they might just not have seen him. Um, but, you know, lots of people have this kind of uh, understanding of God to some effect, that, well, because I don't see God, how is he real? So C.S. Lewis in his paper, The Seeing Eye, kind of explores it uh, and tries to explain it differently, that searching for God 
isn't quite like um, a person looking for another person. So you live on the ground floor. If you want to know if someone lives on uh, level one, you're going to go up the stairs, you're going to knock on the door, you go into the house, you see them, and that's how you find them. Finding God is a little bit different to that. He says it's a little bit more like the relationship between an author and a character. himself in the script. He only knows about Shakespeare by what Shakespeare's written. Harry Potter only knows about J.K. Rowling as to what she writes of herself into the story. It's this sort of limitation here. And he suggests this is a little bit more what it's like when we're trying to find our creator. But we're so lucky that God actually wrote himself into the story, didn't he? He writes himself into the human history, the script of life, when he comes to earth as Jesus Christ. So that's how we can use our understanding of Jesus to help us understand our creator who is outside of time and space. I hope you can kind of uh, anchor your thoughts onto that and keep that at the front of your mind as we work through this story, as well as um, in the uh, following weeks in the I Am series, as you try and understand God a little bit more. So in this story, we're going to see three divine characteristics, three divine characteristics from three interactions. Jesus is going to teach us about who God is with three interactions through this story. The story starts after chapter 10, where Jesus and his disciples had to flee from the Jews who were after them. They were trying to arrest them and trying to murder them for what they were teaching and practicing. They saw it as blasphemy. So they've kind of hidden out, They're, they've reclused, they've taken refuge outside the main cities and they've escaped uh, where the, the people who were after them were. And whilst they're hiding out, they actually receive a message. A messenger is sent to them. This messenger comes with some bad news. Lazarus is sick. Your friend Lazarus is sick. To send a messenger all the way out there suggests that he probably doesn't just have the man flu, that this is probably something a little bit more nasty than just a nasty cough. Jesus replies to him. He says, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. This is his response. And instead of rushing off, what does he do? You can see in your scripture reading, he waits for two days which is a little bit strange, but keep that in your head. Two days he waits. Then by some sort of supernatural way of knowing, Jesus announces that Lazarus is dead after some clarification of what sleeping means and that he was actually saying he's dead. The disciples have this reaction. We, we can't go back past Judea. We just escaped being almost killed and arrested there. So there's this tension already being formed. But Jesus has made his statement that this illness does not lead to death, it is for the glory of God, and they proceed to meet face to face with the grieving Martha, the grieving Mary, and of course, the dead Lazarus. I just want to give you a little bit of uh, geographical context here uh, to help us understand some of the reactions and emotions that are going to come later in the story. So where they're located is about a four-day trek 
to Bethany where Lazarus lies, right? Four days for him to walk all the way back to where Lazarus and the grieving sisters are. So keep that number in your head, number four, four days, and we're going to work through that. We're going to look at the first interaction that Jesus has with Martha. Now, Mary and Martha, they're a little bit better known uh, from previous stories in the Gospels where uh, Jesus was teaching in a house and Mary sat at the feet of Jesus and she listened uh, earnestly to his teaching and spent that time with him whilst Martha um, worked sensibly and diligently in the kitchen, did a lot of work um, to prepare and be hospitable. But of course, Mary was the one who was praised for taking the time to sit at the feet of Jesus. It's a really important verse to remember when you ever get asked to do something in the kitchen and you'd prefer to just sit on the couch and you can use this as an example of where um, not being in the kitchen was a good thing. So write that one down. The first interaction we observe with, with Martha is her running out to meet the teacher. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, how many of you, when you've read this passage maybe before, you you sort of get this sense of almost anger and frustration as she appeals to her teacher? Well, remember how many days it took Jesus and his disciples to get there. Four. How many days did Jesus wait till he left? Two. If Jesus had left at the same time he received that message, he was still going to be two days late. That's important to realise because it changes the tone of how we read it. This isn't quite Martha approaching Jesus angrily, why were you late? It wouldn't have made a difference if he left straight away. This is approaching Jesus full of faith and full of grief. Full of faith and full of grief. Lord, I know that you can heal the sick, but I am so sad that my brother Lazarus has died. And Jesus' first response sort of appears like a nice condolence. Your brother, he will rise again. The Jews were fully aware of hope, the hope they had for the last day where the Lord would rise people from uh, the grave. They didn't quite understand how it's all going to happen, but that was a hope that she had. And she takes it and says, I know he will rise again. Then Jesus decides to use this moment, this moment of a grieving woman, to unveil one of his divine characteristics, his truth. And he says to her, I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection. This is a truth full of hope that he is the one who was to come into the world. He is not just the one who's giving out the bread. He's saying, I am the bread. Her understanding of all of this is, of course, limited. She doesn't quite know what's what's to happen, but her response is awesome. She says, yes, Lord, I believe. Do you find yourselves in tough situations where hearing the truth is just the last thing you want to hear? Can you picture yourself in a place of suffering and grievance when you can actually be open to hearing the truth? I think we can commend Martha here for being able to receive this information in such a difficult time. Now, our Lord Jesus is so sensitive in this situation, and this is truly a uh, a kind of incredible snapshot of who God is uh, in these interactions, that we're going to see a totally different reaction to what he has with with her sister, Mary. Totally different reaction. 
Martha returns back to um, where people were staying and grieving and lets Mary know the teacher wants to speak to you. So she rushes out. She's followed by some of the Jews who also want to condole with her. But she ends up going to the teacher when they thought she was going to the grave. So now there's a few witnesses. And she comes to the feet of Jesus and says the same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Again, remember the timeline. She's not angry. She is full of faith and full of grief. And Jesus has two responses here. Two responses. Um, the phrasing um, that you can read there, um, when, he says, uh, when, the, when the phrasing says that he's deeply moved, is actually translated a little, a little bit differently in the original Greek and in some other translations. It, it actually uses a different phrase that aligns more with anger or indignation. Uh, the, the Germans do a good job of translating it more to the snorting of a horse. You know when horses are angry? Big horse snort. So he's, he's actually displaying anger, not just the sense of being deeply moved. After this, he asks where is Lazarus laid? And then he does what you'd almost not expect after just being angry. He weeps. It's the shortest and easiest verse in the Bible to memorize, uh, but it's also one of the most powerful. Jesus wept. He is angry, but he's also weeping alongside those who mourn. And uh, it's, it's an incredible picture here, but it's going to need a little bit more unraveling to really understand what's going on. So the onlookers, they, they look at him. They look at him weeping and crying, and they go, wow, see how Jesus loved Lazarus. See how he loved him. He's crying for him. But a bit of a spoiler alert, we kind of know what's going to happen later. And, and Jesus does too. So why is he crying? He's not crying because he's, he's just sad that he can't hang out with his buddy Lazarus anymore. There's something else, something deeper going on here. Why is he angry? Why is he weeping? See, it's not just his reaction to the conversation he's having or, or even the sadness he's observing around. Jesus is angry and sad at the entire concept of death and suffering itself. Death itself is what is making him react like this. The death that's in this world, the death that we cause by our sin, the death that causes us to suffer in the worst way that we can. It's this death he is angry and sad about. See, when you're just angry... It can just kind of come across as sort of like a self-righteous arrogance when you're just angry. And when you're just sad, it can come across as sentiment or just sympathy. But when you're angry and sad, that shows that you love. That shows that you really love. And this is the second divine characteristic of God that Jesus is displaying here. His love for Mary, his love for us, in spite of awful suffering. It kind of has echoes of Genesis 6, um, when God looked at the world with uh, all of its turmoil, all of its um, grief and horror. And in Genesis 6, we read, And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. He loves us so much that he's devastated where we're ending up. So Jesus is really showing off God's love for his people when he's weeping alongside the crowd. 
Do you realize that when you're, when you're suffering, when you're going through something tough? Do you actually have this picture of God in your head or do you have the picture of God who just wants to teach you a lesson, you know, for all the stuff that you probably did wrong or to really show you who's boss? He wants you to suffer. Is that the picture that you have? Okay, so, so far we've got uh, Martha and she was um, delivered truth, yep. And then we've got Mary and she's been shown love. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> All right, now we're going to look at the um, third divine characteristic of God. Um, yeah, a bit of a spoiler when the, the passage is kind of titled Jesus Raises Lazarus. Um, but let's just remember, everyone in this story, the people, the witnesses, the Jews, the sisters, none of them knew this was coming. This is, this is four days late. This isn't like a, a buzzer beater from LeBron just before the buzzer goes. This isn't a, a kick after the siren. This isn't even the ambulance racing to the scene to resuscitate that person. This is four days later. Again, the four days is that time it took Jesus to make it to Bethany. This is it coming up again, the four days that he has been dead. It's all significant. And they say, Lord, by this time there will be an odour, for he has been dead four days, down in verse 39. Tradition uh, in the Jews would be that the spirit might hover over the body for a couple of days, for three days, before it would leave as the body starts to decay. So that it's four days becomes even more significant to those who were witnessing all that was happening. This is more like Nathan Buckley getting a phone call today saying, good news, Nathan, we've actually decided to change the result of the grand final from September and, and you guys have won the premiership. That, that's what this is more like. And it's not going to happen. This is so far down the line. Um, there's no hope in the crowd. You know, people are looking, Jesus made it. That's great. You know, Jesus is here. He's, he's mourning with us. He came to see them. That's, that's pretty nice. That's good. That's about the end of their hope. Maybe even some of them had doubts. And the fact that Lazarus died just kind of put the icing on the cake that Jesus is just a teacher. He's no more than that. Jesus begins in, uh, in verse 41 um, with a prayer. He says, Father, he calls to his father, and he's clearly been in conversation with him if you look at the way the prayer is worded. I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, and I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. Lazarus, come out. Some of the uh, contexts and um, the, the commentaries written about this says that if he hadn't have said Lazarus, we would have had a zombie apocalypse in the Middle East because the power that he was wielding when he said, come out, all the bodies would have come out. He needed to say Lazarus, so just one did. This is the power that Jesus is wielding. His perfect obedience to the Father and the full power of God. And Lazarus comes out. Out in his bindings, he walks out. You just can't even imagine the reaction, can you? You just can't even picture uh, that reaction. We have it in movies where someone sort of comes back with some magic spell where they reappear or in the Matrix when Neo is revived. Uh, this is maybe a, a Hollywood kind of example of it, but still, in our world, in our life, you, you can't picture what that would have done to the crowd. So we have three divine characteristics demonstrated by Jesus 
in this story, this incredible snapshot of who God is as he writes himself into our history. We have a God who is full of truth. He tells us how life works. We have a God who loves us unconditionally. And we have a God who has power enough to raise the dead. He's got it all. But the key to understanding this story is to understand that he has all three. Do you understand that he has all three? Or do you maybe just pick up one or two of those characteristics of God when you try and picture and understand God? See, maybe you understand he has truth, sure. God tells us how to live. We've got a whole big rule book here. I know, I know God's got truth there, but he doesn't really care about me. He just tells me how I should live. Or, or perhaps you acknowledge God's power and perhaps you understand, sure, he's powerful. He created the world. But my day-to-day business, I don't think he's really interested. That's taking parts of God's truth and not all of it. And it's easy to do, isn't it? It's easy to just grab a bit here and a bit there. But you've got to put it all together, otherwise you're not going to have a good understanding of God and you're also not going to have a good understanding of this story. You need to be able to grab all three characteristics, the the truth, the love and the power. Uh, I'm going to conclude with just sort of one last thought here closing in on 11 o'clock. Let's see how close I can get it. Um, We don't actually have a verse in the Bible to to show us, as far as I know. Lee might correct me. But breaking news, um, Lazarus actually dies again. I know. It's like, what the? Went through all that trouble and he's going to die again. Like, I can't believe it. Um, You know, he's still got to spend some more time on earth and and then face death. So to think about why, why did Jesus bother bringing him back? Was it, was it just to give Mary and Martha some more time with their beloved brother? And, and that's pretty good, you know? If that's the reason, that's pretty nice. I'm sure there are... I know there are people in this room that, that this story resonates with them. Boy, if I could have that loved one back just for another moment, you'd give everything. But the reason that Jesus did this was even bigger than just for Mary and Martha. The reason that Jesus would raise Lazarus from the dead was to actually show us that he is God. This is the proof that he is using to help us realise he is God. It was for the glory of God to prove his glory and specifically prove it through his Son. So that we should honour the Son just as we should honour the Father. That would have rung out true amongst the Jews. And this act of power gives us today and it gives those who were there at the time a foretaste, just a foretaste of what was to come only days later. The resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus. That's the event. That's the event that makes it all possible for us to be in relationship with God. See, our treasures aren't just on this earth and to have someone that we love come back from the, from the dead to be with us is, you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't read about it except here. Um, is, uh, it, it's so crucial that how our lives here and clearly God has demonstrated to us that he cares, us, cares for us so much that he's entered this story and that we have seen this here. The real deal is the resurrection to our spiritual bodies. See, Lazarus was raised to his mortal body. Again, I said, he he dies again. He's still mortal. But what Jesus raised to 
was a spiritual body, a spiritual body that was forever. He could walk through walls, he could appear before crowds. That's the spiritual body that we have hope for. That's the spiritual body that is no longer under the power of death, no longer under the pain of suffering. And uh, we, we, may, we may die before our time seems fair. We may lose loved ones before it seems like it was their time to go. And you know what we see in the story? Jesus weeps with us. He weeps with them. That devastates God. We also have hope that because he is God and he proves it in this story with his truth, with his love and with his power, that he has conquered the grave. And we too can have hope in spite of all the suffering that we have in our lives, that one day we can be resurrected as well uh, into the loving arms of God. Uh, Let me just pray and we'll see how close we are to 11. Dear Lord, I thank you for this story. I thank you the story tells itself. Um, Thank you for the opportunity to just flesh some parts out of it, that people will read this, go home and read this again and just see all the um, intricacies that go into this passage that help us understand who you are. I thank you, Lord, that you uh, wrote yourself into the script of human history and that you have given us all the opportunities and all the access to know you personally. So I thank you for this, Lord, and pray for the rest of the service. In Jesus' name, amen.